podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Video podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trout Denny and this is Molby on the Spot, your weekly chance, thanks to Anfield Index Pro, to hear the wit and wisdom of Liverpool and Denmark legend Jan Molby as we talk about Liverpool Football Club. So let's begin it once more. Good evening, Jan. Good evening, Trevor. I hope you feel better this week. I do feel better this week. Yeah, it would be hard not to. It's uh, it's been it's been a very positive one uh, for a lot of reasons. But uh, I'm curious uh, to get your immediate take on that because uh, it's easy to get carried away. Um, and before we do that, or maybe we should get carried away. What's your take um, on, on things in general now? Is that the reset we were looking for? I don't know, Trevor. I think it maybe it's a little bit too early. Uh, I mean, I, I said last week that if we could handpick an opponent, it would be Bournemouth. Uh, you did, and I, yeah, and I think we we've, we've seen why that is. Uh, the one thing that disappoints me the most, Trevor, is that last Thursday we 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 sort of managed to join in that little bit of a negative vibe that was around the, the team, wasn't it? Which, mm. in fairness, we've stayed clear of for the last four years or so, isn't it? Uh, having said all of that. I still don't know 100% where we're at. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Trent Alexander-Arnold is a great player and Bertie van Dijk is a great player. Whether Bobby Firmino is still a great player, I don't know. But he had a great game on Saturday, you know what I mean? So, you know, for all the people that are, that are still looking for him to make a contribution, whatever it is, then, you know, our youngsters, Javier played a really good game and Cavalier came on and scored a goal. And so it was, it was just an unbelievably positive afternoon wrapped into one, wasn't it? You know, I mean, it was impossible to be negative about anything. The atmosphere, atmosphere was great. And it comes back to a bit, get that first goal job, isn't it? You know, mm. and it makes mm. such a massive difference to the way that we play. I'm not suggesting that we're going to get the first goal in every game. We're going to go on and win nine, is it? But it does certainly change everything, isn't it? And, and that, that, that first goal and then followed by the second and then straight away, you knew these are in big trouble, aren't they? And in fairness... I was part of a 9-0 against Palace in 1989. Uh, mm. that, that was in, in, in my... Uh, I might have actually been a bit earlier. I can't, I can't remember. Whatever. And that was like a 9-0. I almost feel like this could have been 12 or 13, 40. You know what I mean? It was, it was just ridiculous. Money, but it equals the, the Premier League record. I, I assume it equals the biggest league win. Or equals the, big, yeah, equals the biggest league win for Liverpool as well. So what more do you want to have? Well, exactly that. And I think we could cut ourselves some slack for being maybe dragged into the negative side of things a bit because it was warranted uh, in the last week's uh, episode. And I also think it's it's interesting that that still clearly lingers a little bit um, in that, you know, you're not just, you know, 
we're not just running tops off into the park going, yes, that's it. It's all over now. We've uh, we've gotten what we want. We're back. Uh, I think it pays to be a little bit wary. I think that makes sense here in this case. Um, but in terms of the perfection of the performance, yeah. But, you know, I think you put your finger on, on, on something there that's important. If we're going to get back to being the Liverpool that you and I've loved watching for so long, we have to start doing certain things right. One of those things is getting that early goal, uh, which you mentioned. The other thing, Jan, which was notable and admirable and very encouraging was the level of effort. Now, I remember speaking to you last week and we were, uh, we were talking about, and, and, and in the show I did immediately afterwards, we are talking about what Klopp was saying and how it seemed almost a little bit simplistic to talk about, well, you know, these are good players and what I'm just going to ask them to do is, is to, to, to work harder, basically. That's what it boiled down to. Um, but sometimes it's that simple, Jan, isn't it? And, 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 and the, the truth of that um, was clear in the fact that we were first to every ball, we were first to every second ball. They were under immense pressure from the beginning right to the death. Another feature of Liverpool under Klopp, playing until the final whistle, um, absolutely ruthless. 4-0 up, go for 5-0. Not reckless, but just focused. Those kind of little things coming back in one game, it's a massive relief. Most things in football, especially when you've got a squad that's been together for as long as, as ours have, is simple to ever. You don't need to rip things up just because you have a, a, a bad result. Uh, you just need to go back to doing basics. And that's the kind of thing you've always been fortunate enough to be able to say about this group of players, isn't it? What's wrong? I'll tell you what's wrong. We just need a reset. I mean, we had we had the COVID season where, where we came with a, with a great run and finished third and everybody goes, what are we going to do for next season? And I remember us saying, what we need is a reset. And what did we do? We had a, we had a long pre-season. Klopp had the players away for five weeks, worked them as hard as he's ever done. And he'd done a reset with all the things of how we play. And I've got Pep Linder's book somewhere in the house. And I think it's, it's the title, not intensity is our identity. Mm. Yeah. Now, the worst thing that can happen, not to a football club, but to a football team, is to lose your identity. And our identity is intensity. And an intensity that even the best, not just the best in England, but the best in Europe, can't live with at times. How often have we said that, Trevor? The intensity was too much for, sometimes it's been too much for City, it's been too much for Real Madrid, it's been too much for Barcelona, isn't it? And that's our identity. And that was back on Saturday. And we had no problems. I know people will still say it was Bournemouth, yes, but we have we have what we believe is the strongest league in the world, isn't it? And then we can't keep down talking when you beat these teams, can you? Because that's what's put in front of you, in the strongest league in the world. A hundred percent. And Another aspect of it that was heartening as well was the team that the manager selected was always going to be the team. I don't think there was any real doubt about that. We know about Klopp's loyalty. Um, we know about the fact from what from what he said to us pre-match that he was going to trust these guys to go out and do it again. Obviously, the correction was made around the selection of Fabinho. I don't want to say correction. That makes me sound like I know more than Jurgen Klopp, but I think most of us were scratching our heads quite um, quite ferociously when he wasn't selected in the last game, because we don't have anyone else as good as that because he's probably one of the very best in the world at that job. Um, so the team was always going to be the team. And then I think it's very vindicating for those guys, the captain included, to go out and be part of that demolition job that we did on the back of a little bit of faith from the manager. And probably, uh, you know, listen, you'll know more about this than I will. 
um, probably quite a few rockets over the course of the week in terms of the severity of how they were spoken to about what they need to do and their specific responsibilities. And again, I know the game has changed in terms of psychology, but would that, I reckon, knowing the man that's leading them and the lads themselves, I imagine that was very much part of it. I imagine if you were, you guys were on the end of a, a bad result or two in a row, that there would be very much would have been an inquest, a kind of, a, you know, come to Jesus moment on the training ground where certain truths are told. I feel like maybe that has, that sort of clear the air happened because there was that lovely buzz and vibe and connectivity between the team again. And sometimes a clearing the air can do that, can't it? I think it's been an easy one for Klopp, hasn't it? Because he, he's gone, listen, it's not one game, it's not two games, it's been three games. And that's very unusual for you as a group of players. So put it right, that's all he said, and let's, let's, let's put it right. But the revival, and let's assume it's a revival anyway, it is, as we're talking here, it's a revival, isn't it? And your big players have to be part of that, don't they? Manchester United have a some kind of a revival, don't they? But without Ronaldo. So there's a problem, isn't it? It would have been the same if our revival would have happened with Klopp having left some of the bigger names out, isn't it? You always have to make sure that when you have these good moments, your weak players have to be part of that, especially if they're part of the future, isn't it? Whereas you're now saying, saying that Ronaldo can't be part of the Manchester United future, can he? Because the revival is happening without him. He's not part of it. Whereas all our big players who are fit and available were part of that, including Jordan Henderson, which would have been easy, would have been easy one to justify to maybe leave him on the bench, and maybe to make another one or two changes. But he thought, no, if you're going to get this right today, I need all my big men in there. They need to be part of this feel-good thing. You know, so people can't start adding two and two together and come up with five and thinking that we're going to go on without some of these players. Because that's what's happened at Manchester United is now they're thinking we're going to go out, go on without certain players, big, big players, yeah. We, we're not in a situation. We need them with us. And that's why it was so important that they all played on Saturday. Yeah, and there's, there's a, an interesting kind of qualifier there in that United, amongst other teams, are throwing around money at a rate of uh, knots uh, in a way that is very frustrating, I know, to an awful lot of Liverpool players who are looking for recruits. We will speak about that topic later on uh, because it'll be an interesting counterpoint between the two sides again. Um, I saw all sorts of headlines about Manchester United's revival on the back of a narrow win over the weekend. But anyway, um, more of that later and more of the transfer market later. Before now, just to stick with the win at the weekend and pick a couple of things out of it that were incredibly positive. It's quite the luxury to be able to take off one of our wonder kids and bring on the other and for both of them to score absolute screamers um, and be very involved in the play in a very productive way. Both of them have lots of fight in them. I thought I liked the kind of niggly side I was seeing to Fabio Carvalho at the end. He was getting knocked about a bit and he didn't like it um, and responded, I thought, in a way that showed there's plenty of fight there. But it's not like he's just a cantankerous guy. He's got all the talent in the world. That was the big takeaway for me. The big bonus from the afternoon, Jan, was we've got these two guys and they can really they, they can really be bright sparks for us. Now, I am not saying, uh, just to be clear, that now the season rests on their shoulders because I still think we need to go and do something in the market. Whether we do or not is a different thing. But it's lovely that that is at least part of the conversation now. And it's not just 
theoretical. It's Harvey Elliott doing the business, linking the play, providing um, key passes and getting in the end of stuff. And the same for Fabio Carvalho. That's that's a massive boost for us. Yeah, this year. Uh, unexpected? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it all depends on how Klopp views his players, isn't it? And it's very unusual for Klopp to do what he's done with Carvalho. Sign a young player, uh, not not to send them out on loan because that's not his, his gig either. But to kind of involve him with the first team as quick as this. And he is involved, isn't he? He's been involved on every match day. He comes on when there's an opportunity. Harvey Elliott. Surprised he didn't play a little bit more last season. But maybe that was part of the, the grander scheme of things. Playing his stuff now and he's playing well. It's kind of a catch-22 situation, isn't it? If he continues like this, Southgate might take an interest. Uh, and then you're going to go... Uh, to the World Cup, which is probably the last thing you need, isn't it? But, but you can't deny a young player the opportunity to go and play in the World Cup, isn't it? So, yeah, the two of them are. I've always... Cavalier hasn't played a full season of the Championship without being able to sort of look after himself. And I've always thought that. I always thought he, was, he looked a special talent and having spoken to certain people at Anfield and wherever they go, you know, phew, you know, even they've been slightly surprised at how comfortable he is. You know, how comfortable he is at, at that tempo with those players, isn't it? Uh, and we always talk about even the biggest players have to announce themselves, and it's the same for Cavalier. Isn't it? But he's announced himself now with a goal, hasn't he? You know, and it was a good goal, wasn't it? That's a that's a massive thing, that is. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's something that you know, like I say, we can take a lot of a lot of comfort in. And again, as well, in terms of sort of stories that would 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 you'd find a little bit heartening. I mentioned the captain; he's part of that victory in a very positive way. Virgil van Dijk, I thought a couple of potentially shaky touches in the early early goings, and look, we we it's it's silly to say, but I was saying about Mo Salah last year towards the end of the campaign. If we were going to win those two big ones, we were going to need Mo Salah to be at his very very best. Now, sadly, that didn't happen, and it's too much burden to put on Mo Salah's shoulder. It's not fair. It's not a fair ask. Um, similarly. I would say to you that if we're going to, you know, uh, relaunch ourselves, we're going to need Virgil to be at his sort of imperial best there at the back. And um, I thought as the game went on and just to see his presence in the other box as well as a threat, um, I'm thinking this is what I've done the big man no end of good in terms of his own sort of um, uh, feeling about his own game. Uh, Over the course of it, I thought there was lots to like there. Now, obviously, they didn't provide a massive attacking threat, but I don't don't know if I'm explaining this very well, Jan, because it wasn't a game where he was under massive scrutiny defensively. There was just something about him in recent games that wasn't quite as assured in terms of touches and passes occasionally really uncharacteristically uh, uh, inaccurate or sloppy at times. And I just felt that this was a game where he again reasserted himself as, as as the leader of the team and as capable of dominating in both boxes. And that's, uh, that's, that's massive for us. I think that's the key word, isn't it? The lead of the bunch, isn't he? I mean, he's so important to how we play. The most important thing in football is to score goals, isn't it? But the way we play... And the high line and, and, and the offsides that we force the opposition into is as important, isn't it? And he leads that. We can talk about all the others in it, but he leads that. They all look towards him and, he's, and he pushes the line. He drops off when we have to, isn't it? So unless he's at his best, forget it. It is as simple as that. If he's not at his best, uh, we, we won't get as close or, or win it uh, as, as we would like. To. Absolutely, 100%. Uh, we've seen the impact 
when he's not playing or the impact when he's not at his best, you know. And uh, we're not we're not in a situation as, as much as got one of the best goalkeepers in the world, fullbacks and whatever. You still need somebody who puts all that together, isn't it? And that's him. I wonder, with some positive news now, not half as positive as I was hoping, um, but some positive news in terms of the, the schedule for return for uh, several of our players. Joel Matip, close-ish. Uh, Ibu Kanate, we're still not 100% sure where he is. But again, there was positive noises being made. And I wonder um, what you what if what you've seen of Joe Gomez uh, would suggest to you that he might be capable of hanging on to that jersey. Um, I know in the early few appearances, that certainly would not have been what people were thinking. Um, they would have thought maybe he still looks a bit rusty or uh, prone to uh, a little bit of an error. And there was a lot of scrutiny on that side with him and Trent as well. Um, but again, people of short memories and himself and Virgil were possibly as good a centre-half partnership in that league-winning campaign as we've seen. So I wonder from what you've seen, and no doubt you'd have been watching closely enough, do you, do, do, what do you think of of of, um, of Joe's chances of hanging on to that first-team slot if and when the other two boys become uh, ready for selection? To start with, I think it was fair that there was some criticism after the Manchester United game not just of Joe Gomes, but also the way that he played with Trent. Uh, and we maybe felt that we were a bit vulnerable and Manchester United uh, went for us on, on, on that defensive side, isn't it? So what does he need? He needs matches. It looks like he needs matches and a run of matches. And what is that? Seven, eight. I've got a feeling. When you look at this programme now, Trevor, uh, with, with the Premier League and the Champions League up till, it's brutal, isn't it? I, I don't care what anyone mm. says. It's a brutal programme, isn't it? So... He's going to get games, he's, you know, and then it's up to himself, isn't it, whether he can at least put himself on a level with Matip and Konate or whether he can even overtake them in it. So I think he'll get the opportunities. Uh, right now, you would probably feel more comfortable with one of the others. Uh, but matches can do a lot to him, isn't it? And as you correctly point out, the two of them, you know, when they, when they were really going, were as good as there was in, in world football. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's a reason why Joe was elevated to the level he was and, and, and a, a selection for his country and all the rest of it in a department where they're not exactly short of uh, clients there to take that um, position. So, yeah, I, I'm very hopeful for, for Joe Gomez. Um, yes, so a, a person that I, I really want to get to, uh, Jan, is, is Bobby Firmino. Uh, and the reason for that is because, you know, maybe because I was overly pessimistic about the way things were going, but I, I was genuinely worried um, as a guy who loves this footballer um, and thinks of him as a central part of Liverpool under Klopp, that we had might maybe seen the, 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 the seen his best days in certain aspects of his game. And I am delighted to be able to say that that was absolute horseshit because the performance that he served up there at the weekend was excellent. It was vintage for me now. Bobby's never been quick um, in terms of pace, but what he's always been is aggressive, uh, clever, uh, wonderful technician in terms of his link-up play, the delicacy of his touch, able to read the game, his finishing. Uh, these are all things we associate with Bobby Firmino. The, the game happens around him. He's like a catalyst, but he's also 
front and centre when you need him. Now, I'm not writing it all down to one game and saying everything's back, everything's fine. That that would be as silly as saying uh, everything's gone to the dogs and we'll never see him again. But it was really heartening, wasn't it, to see those aspects of his game back that seemed to be so absent, say, against United. I know people try to make excuses and say, well, he, he had to drop deep into midfield to even get involved in the game, but that seemed a bit half-hearted to me. I, I was worried, I'll be honest, and I felt I felt very relieved by that performance because it proved, not just for, for that day, but it proved that he can still do all of those things. Uh, and that's massive for us in a season where we're going to try and compete on all fronts. So I think, to be fair to these players, and, you know, we have squads uh, of players, and, you know, I guess that the, the backroom staff before every season will sit down and go, well, what do we need James Milner for? And then, then decide, you know, he's going to start so many games and he's going to come on as a substitute uh, so many times. And, and to, for Bobby, we have to be fair to Bobby as well and go, what do we expect, Trevor? What is our expectation of Bobby Firmino this season? Is it to start? 12, 15 Premier League games, uh, come on in another 20 as a, as a substitute, come on and do something and maybe get himself into double-figure goals uh, in, in the Premier League. That's probably our expectation. That doesn't... I don't think that rules the fact that the criticism of him because I expect him to be able to play against Fulham even in the first game of the season and he didn't really. He was poor. And Manchester United, you talk about... I actually thought that dropping deep into midfield would have suited him would have allowed him to play better. He didn't. But now he's back. I mean, what was it? It was a goal and a hat-trick of assists, wasn't it? Uh, but but all the sort of cheek in it. Yeah, two and three. Two and three, yeah. Yeah. It was all back, wasn't it? You know, being cheeky, isn't it? You know what I mean? The sort of look-away passes and the little things that he does, isn't it? You know what I mean? To be fair, it's been a long time since we've had a centre-forward. You can trust with the ball as much as we can trust him. And it doesn't matter where it's played up, isn't it? Knee high, chest high, and whatever. He brings it down, brings people into to play, isn't it? Uh, it will come one day, Trevor. Let's just go for another 15 starts in the Premier League and come on in all the others. Give us 10 plus goals in the Premier League. And he gets a green approval for the season. Oh, absolutely. And let's finish with Luis Diaz. Um, again, people were worried whether he had been overhyped. Um, he scored a world-class goal in a disappointing performance recently. A lot of people thought there was a lot of bluster, but maybe no end product. But then a lot of people are very quick to judge and very short memories, like I said earlier on. I thought his display was really tremendous because what it did, Jan, for me at least, was uh, reassured me that the missing elements that Sadio Mane added to us as a team uh aren't completely gone. Um, that aggressiveness, uh, that capacity to finish, to be a poacher as well as 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 a as a a, a, a creator, to drive at a defence. I, I loved on the second goal, I think it was Harvey Elliott's goal, where he came and drifted across from the left into the middle, playing like an eight and linking up the play on the right in order for that move to happen. Um, and it's two headers which is another thing that Mane had for a lad who's, you know, for a, a, a Premier League football five-foot foot call, was, were wonderfully taken, like expertly taken from comparative standing starts. These are massive things and very reminiscent of Sadio at his best. And again, a consolation uh, that, that perhaps he won't be as missed as some of us had feared. 
No, but I do think that if you want to have a good look at what Sadio Mane brought to Liverpool, then you need to watch a game where you just watch him. You know, because he is an all-action man, isn't he? He was involved in everything. He worked hard up and down. He had an unbelievable ability to always come in around the far post. Uh, as you said before, he was really, really good in the air. We got another player. We got a slightly different type of player uh, who might not threaten in behind as much without the ball, but he gets the ball to feet and he's capable of going on the outside, coming on the inside, isn't it? And I do think that he opened and, and finished the scoring on uh, on, on Saturday, didn't he? And I think the same thing happened in 1989 when we beat Palace 9-0. It was the same player. Uh, the only player in the, in, the, in the match at that time it was Steve Nichol who scored the first and the last and this time it was Lewis Diaz isn't it? so and Lewis Diaz is a fine player but, but do you think Trevor you know when you talk about the minutes that the players and the season that we had we, we played every game available to us uh, last year uh, I don't know if you saw that stats that we had nine outfield players who played 2,300 Premier League minutes or more yeah nine outfield players no other Premier League team had more than seven. And mm. the other top six clubs all had five, apart from Chelsea, who only had three. And of those nine outfield players who played over 2,300 Premier League team, they also started 40 or more games in all competitions. The only player who didn't start 40 or more was Schotter, who started 39 and Virgil van Dijk started 51. There is a price to be paid somewhere, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good observation. And it's only when you hear it laid out like that, Jan, that it doesn't sound like woolly kind of thinking. Like, I've heard it explained, like, oh, well, last season's going to take it out of them. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. But when you hear it laid out like that, I mean, it's very hard. You can't argue with those numbers. I mean, I was listening today to um, one of um, the channel's podcasters, Dave Hendrick, talking about um, uh, the much uh, lamented uh, Ginny Wijnaldum and, and how badly we have missed him and how life could be a whole lot different in terms of what we're looking at on the trophy cabinet. Well, he didn't say that, but I have. Uh, if Ginny Wijnaldum had stayed about, um, kind of very much the thing that we were missing on a couple of occasions, um, last year and the year before and it it was just the thing about Ginny was his consistent availability never played less than 42 games a season and that's a remarkable statistic in and of itself over five campaigns or whatever it was so yeah I agree with you entirely uh it, it, that those numbers when you add them up for people who are human they're going to take a toll so yeah I mean we shouldn't be awfully surprised it's just it is a bit of a kick in the face the amount of these injuries that we have uh accrued and look there's no way to avoid the topic much more than 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 than, than we have done because we are looking at mere days isn't it before uh the whole thing wraps up and we don't have to talk about it again anymore but you and I have just been made aware by Guy that Chelsea are doing mega business in the in the uh in the transfer market albeit for next season with a massive deal likely to happen for a Leicester player and Man United today I think have I think it, that deal is done now with um, Anthony for in the region of 100 million ha them having spent a boatload of money recently as well and you know where I'm going with this we'll talk about them in a bit for us, the question still remains, are we going to do anything? And it's tantalizing because 
if it was a simple matter of the manager saying, well, that's not going to happen, um, or blowing it off like he has done in previous windows, we'd know not to be interested. But he hasn't done that. He's made it clear that he would like someone. Um, and there's still, as far as I can see, Jan, and again, I'm not as close to the case as you are, but there doesn't seem to be a dicky bird. There's not a proper rumor. There's nothing tangible. I did hear something about Caicedo uh, and 42 million bid. I don't know how real that is. Have you heard anything? Do you think it's likely or not? No, I don't think it's likely. I mean, I, I think yesterday, so we're doing this podcast on a Tuesday. I think yesterday, Monday, there was a post from certain journalists. Uh, we, we were linked with Sanderberg, the Norwegian at, at uh, Sheffield United, who, to be fair, we mm. were linked with before he came across to play for Sheffield United. And I can see that. I can see why that is. He would be a perfect Jurgen Klopp type midfielder, but it's not what we're looking for now. You know, we, we, we need better. Uh, so, Caicedo at, 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 at Brighton, I mean, they brought him in with the plan of selling Kizuma. They did that. So they're not going to sell this kit. That's absolutely for sure, unless it becomes ridiculous money. And we don't do things like that, do we? And also, Jurgen Klopp's press conference today for the game uh, tomorrow against Newcastle. He said, didn't he? He said, we, 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 would like, we would like if the right man is available. Yeah, of course, everybody would like if the right man is available, isn't it? And then he says, how long is there left of the window? And they said, two days. And he goes, oh, well, so there's still time. So it's basically him saying that there's a, well, there's a slight frustration, isn't it, Trevor? Yeah. You know, uh, but, and then they asked him for names. And he said, I don't know any names. I don't know who we might not be linked with. You know what I mean? So I think it's fair to say, I always go back to that COVID season where we signed those two centre-halves right at the end, yeah. And that was like a choking gesture. I don't care what anyone says. That was a choking gesture. We were never going to spend any money as such on those deals. It was a choking gesture because it wasn't in the plan. And I think we're exactly at that point again. My worry is that, and maybe we fell into that trap as well, Trevor, is that you look at the start of the season, you go, do you know what? We've got loads of midfield players. We've got loads of centre midfield players, which we do, to be fair. I think we've got eight, possibly nine centre midfield players. But if you maybe dug into the numbers a little bit, you might have been able to think, well, one or two of them might not quite be up to the level that we're hoping for. And then you've got one or two who misses a substantial amount of the season to injuries, isn't it? And then we've got a problem. Uh, and I think maybe Klopp, Klopp has always been very good at going, we don't need anyone. I trust the boys. I've got enough quality, isn't it? He's not quite saying the same now, is he? Although I think he is almost conceding defeat in terms of, it's like this Jude Bellingham thing, isn't it? You know, the big cloud for, you know, for next season. And that's kind of the owner's excuse, isn't it? Do you know what we got lined up for you in 12 months' time, you know? So I think we might just have to bite the bullet sort of and go with what we got. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think we said it on the show, though, last week, I really would like if they did uh, tie a big Liverpool bow around Jude Bellingham's head and say, look, he's coming. Uh, and at least you might have, it might ease some concerns. But it's this campaign is all we're concerned about now, Jan. You can only live from season to season. Um, recent life experience has told us that you grab whatever you can now and experience the hell out of it because honestly there's that sort of feeling that everybody's been kicked in the face with recently about you don't know what's around the corner you don't know what can be taken away and so in that respect we have to focus on this campaign and in a jealous selfish way um you know what i'm going to say i i really want to go out and get somebody but i totally get the idea of getting the right person i just don't believe the myth that there's only one right person 
I don't believe that at all. You said last week on the show, there's a lot to be said sometimes, even if it is the token gesture you're talking about. There's a lot to be said for maybe doing things differently than you usually do when the when the uh when the occasion calls and uh for me this would be such an occasion but i want you to put people at peace about something because as far as i can see there's still a, a a certain cohort of liverpool fans who think signing frankie de young is actually a possibility and i don't see i don't see where they're going with that because I, I, to, to, so much was made and uh, uh public about the players wage demands and all that type of thing um, that even if you are looking to, to maybe take advantage of a Barcelona who are a bit cash strapped or whatever, th- th- those wages would would sort of make a mockery of, of our system and, 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 and just I don't see how it could work. I think an awful lot of people are genuinely getting excited about this. Uh, uh, people who I know to be kind of calm, cool headed people seem to think this is a real possibility. To me, it just seems like the ultimate pipe dream. What, what, what would be your take on De Jong? Same as you, pipe dream, really. Uh, for starters, I don't think there's been any indication from him or his camp that he wants to leave. Uh, and that's why I found it difficult that Manchester United were pursuing him for as long as they were. Uh, then we got the issue with wages and old wages, uh, that, that Barcelona would have to give to him before he would, he would want to move anywhere. Uh, you mentioned Castro Barcelona. Does that make any difference? They're one of the few clubs in the world who don't need any money to be able to do business. They just go around signing wherever they want, isn't it? So they're not going to be desperate to sell Frankie de Jong. Uh, so no, I, I, I can't see. I know people got excited because he got on the plane the other day to fly to London, whatever it was. Isn't it? But no, I, can't, I generally can't see it uh, at the mooted fee of around, what, 75 million? I don't think if the owners are going to do anything, that's the kind of fee they have in mind. I, I, I just couldn't imagine it. And then would you then get Jude Bellingham next summer? I very much doubt it isn't. So, Frankie de Jong, I, I can only see Frankie de Jong staying in Barcelona. Yeah, that, that's that's my take on it too. But like I say, there's just so many people seem get to be carried away by this possibility. I, I don't know what it is, but um, I just wanted to address it because it's one of those stories. It's very much part of the, of the it's out there in the ether. I, I mentioned briefly um, before we go to have a look at. Um, what you talked about here, this ridiculous, uh, heavy, heavy campaign we've got coming up, starting against Newcastle tomorrow night. But I wanted to look at um, briefly what you think of some of the business being done uh, by our rivals. I did mention there, you know, uh, I, I've seen a couple of a couple of big ins recently. I think did I see Regulon has left Spurs? I think today, um, and like I said, um, guys told us that. Um, Chelsea have lined up a deal for Vardial for next campaign, and we know they're looking at the boy from Leicester, Fofana, um, and I don't know how close that one is. Um, so if you want to start there, and maybe if there's any other deals that have sort of jumped out at you, we saw the, the another Man United deal with the Ajax uh, for Anthony as well, at a price that seems to me to be quite massively inflated. Maybe give your take on those couple anyway. I think I think we look at our own club Trevor, over the last few years, and we're very proud of the way that they do business. Uh, we've we've done unbelievably well in in terms of, of of a finding the players, and then also get them in for market value. Uh, so so when you look at at some of the other deals, and I don't know where you start. Chelsea bidding over fifty million fans at the Golden, Nottingham Forest paying potentially over forty two million for Morgan Gibbs White, who's a guy who's never ever been able to break into Wolverhampton's first team. 
Manchester United paying for the two Ajax boys, whether that's Lisandro Martinez or Anthony, uh, at what? Probably a deal, Trevor. It's going to go close to 150 million for those two players for the, from the mm-hmm. Eredivisie. Uh, it's, it's madness. And you just mentioned Guardiola, uh, possibly 80 million euros or pounds or whatever. Very, very good defender. But Kukurea, the most expensive fullback in the world ever, 62 million at, at, at Chelsea. On one hand, you kind of think, this is what it takes now, isn't it? You need to close your eyes and ears and just pay the money because otherwise you're not going to get these players. And are we going to be forced to be drawn into that in the future? You know, where you won't be able to do these stroke-proven deals anymore. Nobody's going to be able to play ball with you because they know that right behind them, there's somebody in the queue who will pay. But it's... It's madness, Trevor. It's madness. And there's so many, so many, t- I mean, Manchester United now, blah, 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 with this day sign, would take it above 225 million, yeah? And that doesn't even make them favoured to get in the top four. You know, it's madness, isn't it? And Chelsea are spending their money. And you're still looking and thinking, you're the top two, Liverpool and Manchester City. And at the moment, I'd say I'd probably rather have Spurs or Arsenal than Chelsea. You know, so even with spending all that money, there's still no guarantee, is it? it bloody hell, Trevor. <laughs> I'm a little bit, you know, I just find it a little bit, you know. Bloody hell. What a time to be, what a time to be a player, what a time to be a player's uh, representative, isn't it? whether it's an agent or financial advisor or whatever, isn't it? I mean, because it just seems no letter in this madness. See, somebody said this to me recently, and again, I want to get your take on it because I know, I know you can talk about these kind of things without. Without, I've talked to one or two of your colleagues over the years, and there's a real atmosphere in the chat when it gets to a certain point that's quite bitter um, about the comparative wealth that's available, and it strikes me as really bizarre that an average footballer now an average Premier League footballer, which means someone who is getting their game in the Premier League on a regular basis, could be after uh, half a career with a Premier League club set up in a situation where you've almost got like generational wealth, that kind of thing where that that guy's kids will not have to worry. Maybe his grandchildren won't. Uh, And that like that's where where you, you start leaning into how different it is now from what it was and i know that you guys at the time felt because you were compared 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 with other professions um that you know you're well remunerated for what you did and that it was a lifestyle that was a, a very desirable one but it didn't it didn't mean that you could hang up your boots uh and go to the med and basically prick about for the rest of your life if you wanted to. Um, most of the lads who finished in the late 80s into the early 90s had to have a pub that was the old one or investments in different businesses and that type of thing. What do you think it does to... I suppose what I'm asking you is, we often talk about, are these current lads a different breed? Do you think they're different kind of people? Because does is that what money does? Is, does money change 
the type of person you're dealing with there, the way that they understand themselves and their value to the world. I mean, I think about some of these guys that I'm talking about there, and I think about some of the great, great players that you would have played with who are infinitely better than them. And these guys here would probably have, these contemporary guys probably have an elevated notion of who they are and what they are because of how much money they make. That's a real change over the course of 20, 25 years. Yeah, I think it's it's really difficult uh, to explain. Uh, but when we played, we we belonged to the game, didn't we? You know, the game was always the biggest. The biggest is the game, isn't it? We belong to the game, and and we're part of the game, and we promote the game, or whatever. And it's almost as if now the the, the the game is almost secondary to the players, isn't it? You know, the most important thing is is is, is the players, isn't it? And their own opinion of 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 themselves isn't it? i mean somebody said a, a while ago that even back in our day there was people earning good money but that was the special players you know there was players i mean i'm sure gary lineker was well paid when he played at, at everton and, and at the same at spurs and paul gascoigne at spurs wherever of course we were amongst the better players because we were the better, better team isn't it but there was other special players getting well paid isn't it? but that's changed now isn't it uh players who make very little contribution uh to the game as, as a whole Although managers, you see how important it is for Manchester United to get a third choice goalkeeper. That they took a Premier League goalkeeper to Bradford loan from Newcastle just so they got three, you know, and all all things like that. But that's how the game's evolved, isn't it? Uh, but I just think that it's it's completely flip flopped, hasn't it? When I played, the powers with the club. Uh, now the players, the players have all the power, isn't it? You know what I mean? And it, it, the players, I believe, are almost capable of bringing the game down if that's what they want to do. Yeah, very much seems that way. And I just, it's always just nice to get, you know, your take, seeing as you, you've been there and done that. And I wanted to just have a look at this. This schedule, Jan, is, I mean, it's cruel. <laughs> it's the only way to look at it. Uh, it starts with uh, the match uh, tomorrow night, but it never, ever, ever lets up. Um, and I mean, I, I wonder. Is it particularly difficult to even contemplate this the way things are with the squad at the moment? I know we had this fantastic result, but this is where I'm worrying about something like that almost papering over cracks. We're one day away from this Newcastle game, but then within, uh, that's Wednesday, uh, by Saturday at lunchtime, a quick turnaround, we have to go to Goodison. Then um, the following Wednesday, we have to travel to the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium and play Napoli there, uh, who have who looks like they look like they're going to um, load themselves up with the uh, Cristiano Ronaldo circus. Um, again, quick turnaround to the Saturday mid midday or sorry mid afternoon game uh, at home to Wolves, and then on the Tuesday following that we play Ajax at Liverpool, and the Sunday following that we play Chelsea. That's just the month of September. This is madness. Uh, it's just so intense, so fast. Now, obviously, we love all this, Jan, but that is a serious, serious, serious calendar of fixtures uh, that will, of course, unless we're very fortunate, have a certain impact in terms of the injuries and all the rest of it. Um, do you think we're equipped to deal with that? I mean, we're looking, aren't we there? We're going to need those guys to, to, to hit numbers like you were speaking about before. We're going to need guys to be the bionic man type guys to get through that and, and, and stay 
stay strong and stay fit, it's a big ask. It is a big ask. Uh, and we see the problems that not just Liverpool have got already, but other clubs with injuries. Every time you watch a game live on TV, there's one or two players who go down with, 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 with muscular injuries. Uh, and we've only been playing weekend to weekend. So, yeah. And I know some people say, well, it, that's only 18 days in September. But then there's an international break where they're going to play three games. And also don't forget when you go away with the international manager, he will almost overwork the players because he wants his little bit as well, doesn't he? So that becomes like a, a, another heavy workload that you maybe could have done without, isn't it? I mean, I've just had my work schedule for September and I'm out, I'm out of breath. You know, I'm not even playing, you know what I mean? So it will be brutal, Trevor. It will absolutely. And the worst thing is that we start in Napoli, which is our most difficult opponent, and we might lose that game. Well, then you've got a problem for the next few games in the Champions League, haven't you? Although the next two are at home, isn't it? But you might not be able to rest or make the changes that you want because you, you might start the Champions League with a defeat, isn't it? So there's a lot of pressure, isn't it? And then we finish off that little spell with Chelsea. Of course, Chelsea got a similar schedule there also in the Champions League, isn't it? Now, I suppose we could do worse than start by focusing on the immediate opposition. We won't spend a huge amount of time on it because by the time the show goes out, there won't be a huge amount of time for this to uh, sit with people. But I do want to have a quick look at it. Well, uh, Newcastle United have an interesting start to the season. Uh, they had a win over Forest uh, on the 6th of August, a nil-nil with Brighton. They drew, they drew then 3-3 with uh, Manchester City in an outing, which a lot of people were very impressed by. Uh, and they had uh, a win in the EFL over Tranmere away at Tranmere. And then most recent result was a one-all draw with Wolves. Um, they themselves are an interesting outfit, Jan. Um, I mean, they're going to be struggling a bit. You mentioned how other clubs are going to have to deal with injuries. Well, it looks like for them, St. Maxima, who's their best player is going to probably miss it probably looks as if they're also going to miss their central striker out of this game as well and I think they might be missing their midfield recruit um, who is uh, Bruno Guimaraes uh, and he looks very much to be a fantastic footballer as well for this particular game again at least that's what I'm hearing maybe that could be a little bit uh, different what do you think of what it is that they're doing here by way of the build. It's one of the most interesting stories for us to observe as football fans, just altogether away from the idea of Liverpool versus Newcastle. It's interesting just to look at what they're trying to do and the way they're, the pace they're trying to do it at. Even the fact that they stuck with the coach that they have is an interesting choice. Um, they seem to be taking a methodical approach here. What, what have you made of what they're doing at Newcastle? Very impressed, in fairness. I think they've done really well. Uh, I'm surprised how well Eddie Howe has done. No doubt that he's a good manager. But I just thought with with that type of pressure and having to deliver, and I think he's delivered. I think they bought really well. They bought sensibles to start with, bought players they can rely on. It's a bit like you talk about our boys, players we can trust. You know, Trippier, you know, Dan Byrne, even Guimaraes, who's a really, really good player. Uh, and now they've sold the cat among the pigeons with, with, this, with the sense of reward. Alexander Isaac. Uh, interesting to see what he can do, isn't it? But I still think there's two Newcastles. There's Newcastle at home, backed by their fans and a great atmosphere. I've been going to Newcastle for so many years, commentating on games, Trevor, and generally there's been a bad atmosphere. They've always been unhappy with something, whether it's the players, the managers, the owners. But right now, there's a great atmosphere, so they're very, very strong at home. They're not quite as strong away from home. And you pointed out some key players will be missing at Anfield. And I think Eddie Howe 
won't be rushing them back Fanfield because I think he'll think, okay, it's one of the more difficult games, so we'll rather rest, rest the players and have them back for the weekend. But they're an interesting team. Having said all of that, I guess they've got to finish seventh, haven't they? You know, I think that's minimum requirement. They've got to finish seventh, haven't they? So that in itself is some kind of pressure. I suppose it's not worth dwelling too much in the Liverpool lineup. I can't see him changing too much from what happened in terms of the starting uh, 11, unless maybe Harvey Elliott was taken off for a reason other than he's young and let's spare him the minutes and give one, one of the other kids because we can. I haven't heard anything about a knock there, have you? No, no, heard absolutely nothing. I mean, there's no stories about any new injuries as such. And only Curtis Jones to return, I think, for this particular group. So it's hard to see too much other than that 11 go again. With that in mind then, Jan, just before we finish, like we always do, how do you see that one going in terms of a result? I just think we've been significantly better against Newcastle at Anfield over the years. We had some quite convincing wins. And I've got a feeling it might just be the same. If they're missing the players that we think they're going to miss, I, I think they're going to struggle to get a foothold in the game. And I think we might just beat them 3-0. 3-0 sounds like something we could all very much live with, Jan. I tell you, uh, I'd be very happy with that if it happens once more for a fantastic run around all the Liverpool-related uh, events of the week. Thanks very much, man. Yeah, this is where it all starts now, Trevor. We're ready. We're on the grid, ready to go. We are. And to those of you watching this in video, we've had some technical hitches, so it's probably had a couple of stops and edits in it. That's totally down to... Rural Ireland and shit Wi-Fi conditions, uh, and I've been invaded by a cat. So I'm going to let Jan go off into the night and say thanks very much to you guys for listening. We'll be back with you on Malby on the Spot next week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.